I want to ask you about the genesis of the FRA, the first seeds in your mind, so to speak. History records the shock of finding out that the BNZ was insolvent the day after the 1990 election that precipitated the FRA. I note, however, that as early as your first caucus meeting, as newly elected MP in 1981, you challenged the Prime Minister, Robert Muldoon, to open the books to you. So where did your fiscal responsibility DNA come from? All right, well, the, the BNZ was not the trigger uh, for the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Sure, mm-hmm. it exacerbated uh, the, the very bad fiscal situation we were in, but it wasn't the trigger. It was, that was a matter of principle, I think, as your uh, question starts to get at. I mean, I grew up in a country where for all of my adult lifetime we had never once balanced the books and we had always just dug into more debt uh, to fund our standard of living. So we had a persistent pattern of chronically bad fiscal behaviour and that had persisted over every electoral cycle and had been uh, a habit of governments of every political stripe. So I saw this as a systemic problem. We were addicted uh, to debt and deficits, and I wanted to, I entered politics to transform our economic arrangements. So I wanted a decisive break from our chronically bad fiscal behaviour. And I knew it was going to take three things to do it. First of all, I had to demonstrate as a Minister of Finance that I was in a government capable of making the kind of hard decisions that would change uh, our our bad fiscal patterns. Uh, So it had to be words, uh, it had to be deeds before words. So my, my early years, my mother of all budgets and whatever, were about fundamentally shifting the balance between public expenditure and debt and deficits and what I wanted to see, which was the growth in in the private economy. So I achieved that fundamental shift. And then I wanted to bake in, if you like, the use of both proper tools for managing how we spent and accounting for how we spent and then rules for governing uh, fiscal responsibility so the the in fact the really the we'll come to it later but the 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 origin of all of this lay in two pieces of legislation in 1989 i was involved in that as the opposition spokesman on finance but two really important pieces of legislation were passed first was the public finance act in 1989, that moved New Zealand. We were the first in the world to just put our accounting for and management of public finances on a proper footing where we looked at um, not only the, the flow of income in and expenditure out, but we looked at our assets and our liabilities as well. So I wanted those disciplines to be there in New Zealand. I was part of the select committee that ushered those in. And in a way, the Public Finance Act, it was, you know, you're you're a young person. Mm. Um, You know, three really big things happened in 1989. The Berlin Wall fell. Yeah. uh, The internet was invented. (laughs) And the Public Finance Act was passed. And in a way, I mean, you know, most people laugh and say, does the Public Finance Act belong in that league? But if you (laughs) think about monumental shifts 
interests in, in new innovative ways to deal with the management of public finances. The Public Finance Act gave us the tools. And the other piece of legislation passed in 1989, which really was the forerunner of, uh, certainly prompted my thinking about the Fiscal Responsibility Act, was the Reserve Bank Act. And the Reserve Bank Act changed the way in which monetary policy was conducted. So again, we changed the rules, we made the central bank independent but accountable, and it changed the nature of the political incentives and, in that case, the monetary policy outcome. So if, if, if you want to look, yes, I was a champion of um, open and accountable and responsible conduct of public finances, of responsible conduct of monetary policy. Yes, I, I certainly came in driven personally by the championship of those causes, uh, but I wanted to make that not just an individual crusade, I wanted to institutionalise those rules and those tools so that we would forever and for the better change political behaviour in New Zealand and, and therefore the fiscal outcomes. At the time you introduced the FRA, were you mostly thinking back to what happened to you as an incoming finance minister, or were you thinking forward in fear of what unrestrained electioneering under MMP may bring? Well, MMP was in prospect then, mm -hmm. uh, but for me it was being historically informed, uh, as I say, by the chronically bad behaviour. We, ha we had to break the back of that. The Secretary of the Treasury said to me at the time, we get near to fiscal balance and then, you know, a billion dollars, we, we miss it. You know, so it was always, what can we do to put a lid on public spending and then change it for the future? So really it was being historically informed, yes, but a big focus on the future. I had seen the success of the Reserve Bank Act uh, that locked in um, much better behaviour going forward, and I wanted to mirror that on the fiscal side. The Secretary of the Treasury was unconvinced. He said monetary policy stands uh, by itself. You, fiscal policy is very political. You can't change the rules of the game. And I said, watch me. So <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't so much, um, you know, just being scarred by. Um, the big fiscal hole that we faced, it was breaking that pattern of behaviour and setting us up uh, for the future that no matter the composition uh, and stripe of future governments, they would forever uh, be uh, judged by and tied to um, you know, a, a set of, of responsible fiscal rules. So I, I did want to make it the gift that keeps on giving, that's for sure. At the time, did you think the Act would be as enduring and effective as it has been? As you said, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Did you think about that at the time? Yes, yes, yes I did, and, and yeah. it was a big big part of my motivation was to institutionalise the rules of the road, so no matter who occupied the office subsequent to me, that they would be subject to the, that, that kind of discipline, and, and it then informed their thinking. So... If you look at this new coalition government, so we now have MMP, we've had many... Uh, governments under MMP, um, this this coalition, the first thing it did while still in opposition and you know as between uh, Labour and the Greens is they thought about what have they got to demonstrate to New Zealand voters to convince them that they are economically credible 
the first thing they did was said, we're going to sign up to a set of budget responsibility rules, which is really just the Fiscal Responsibility Act living on with, with a different label. And for me, that speaks volumes that they felt bound to do that uh, in order to win uh, the confidence of the New Zealand public that they could be trusted with the management of, of um, public finances and, and the Treasury ventures. What would have been the consequences if the government would have not introduced the Act? Well, we would just would have continued the bad yeah. behaviour of the past, um, and there would have come a point where, as Roger Douglas saw in 1984, where you effectively run out of uh, the ability to access international capital markets. And New Zealand is not a country of savers. Uh, we're very reliant on other people's savings to fund our economic ambitions. Uh, so all of our banks borrow internationally in order to fund our domestic spending and investment requirements. Uh, so the consequences would have been that we would have been brought to our knees uh, mm. as we had so nearly been in 1984. Uh, and there's, there's nothing uh, about New Zealand that says we have to be saved by other people's savings, not at all. We have to win uh, their confidence and they have to have the belief uh, that an investment uh, in a New Zealand market is one that's uh, secure and will pay um, appropriate dividends. So the, the, the consequences would have been catastrophic and we would have been denied the kind of um, options that we have as a country when you can access international markets. And obviously uh, our social expenditure, which is very dependent upon uh, the um, health of our wealth-creating sector, uh, would have come to a halt. So, you know, there was nothing that said... New Zealand um, was over-living and there was nothing that said that we couldn't become a failed state. And had we failed to basically take stock uh, and determine that we would um, basically put ourselves on a fundamentally different and more responsible path, uh, then there would have been um, catastrophic and, and uh, chaotic uh, implications for all of us as New Zealanders. Do you think the Act has contributed to the outcomes of the nation? Well, it, it's not just outcomes, but options. I, yes. You know, you, you rely on a government. Public policy matters, and the health particularly of our monetary policy and our fiscal policy anchor uh, so much of public policy and private performance. So, uh, you know, our outcomes uh, as a nation, if you think about standards of living and our ability to fund... Uh, our social programs, uh, that's very much anchored on those those building blocks. It's called sort of macroeconomic policy, and they're the fundamental building blocks on which you can't build your house, which we call the nation. Hmm. So th those those are outcomes that we all wish to have higher standard of living. We all wish to enjoy, um, you know, state of the art social services. Uh, mm. And we all wish, you know, uh, our, our, you know, New Zealanders are full of heart, and we want to, you know, ensure that we can fund people who fall on hard times, uh, and have the ability to do that. So it's not just outcomes that are important, social and economic, but it's options, because if you don't have 
uh, your rainy day fund, if you are stretched to the max and there's a catastrophic event, then you are not placed to deal with it. So we've seen catastrophic events. I mean, I live in, in Canterbury. Um, mm. I was in the east part of, of Christchurch yesterday. I mean, that seismic event yeah. shocked um, not just Canterbury, but rocked the economy to its core. Uh, and the fact that we had very healthy public finances gave us the ability to withstand that seismic event. Um, you know, New Zealand, as we know, is very dependent upon agriculture. Were there to be, say, a, a major uh, biosecurity event like foot and mouth, um, then, uh, you know, high quality public finances, low debt, um, you know, sound uh, budgeting. Uh, that gives us the option to cushion the blow. And, you know, governing is about um, how well equipped you are, not just to meet people's immediate requirements, but ensure that we've got that cushion uh, should shocks arrive. And, you know, living in this world, we know that shocks are part of the landscape and it's responsible to be <coughs> well equipped to deal with them. Yeah. So it's both outcomes and, and optionality that, that are the two critical things. Do you think this is a viable model for other nations struggling with political peace to introduce? Well, I'm familiar because I've consulted to many other governments around the world since the Fiscal Responsibility Act was mm. instituted, uh, and obviously they see it as a model of success. So I mean, I'm just dealing this morning with a request maybe to go to Brazil to... Um, talk to the new Minister of Finance there about how Brazil might think about, you know, these institutional disciplines and how well they've worked for New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so the, a fundamental cause, in my view, of much political collapse is economic collapse. Hmm. So whether it's, you know, your sort of former Eastern Europe countries, much of Latin America, hmm. uh, a good, good deal of Asia, and even... Uh, much of of Europe, uh, the, the fundamental cause that rock, issues that rock a country uh, and produce political turmoil and and uh, often political populism uh, is at its core economic failure. And the basis of economic failure is typically uh, governments that have not been able to live within their means. So, you know, we see around us in the Pacific failed states uh, because you've got corruption and you don't have any substantial business space. But my experience, when you look at much of the breakup of the, the old Soviet empire, I mean, I've worked in Ukraine, for example, a couple of years ago, mm. is a, a very good cause of, you know, that fiscal collapse leads to political collapse and then yeah. you're, in, you're in such different uh, territory. Uh, so you get some very good examples. Estonia is one mm -hmm. uh, that really um, post the Soviet collapse instituted some you know, really important um, fiscal policies, among other things, that, that stabilised that country and led to the, you know, a young generation of people who invented Skype, for example. Uh, and, you know, you, you see what happens uh, in, say, many Latin American countries where governments uh, are elected, they plunder the treasury, they think only about um, paying off political debts, 
yeah. and then they leave uh, their nations at, at the vagaries of you know terrible inflation uh, <laughs> and collapsed public finances. So I, I'm I'm very um, I, you know clear-headed about what basically undermines the prospect for nations uh, being able to secure their future and that's why the anchor of a fiscal responsibility set of rules has become so important internationally. History also records that the passing of the FRA was largely uncontested. Nothing is as easy as it seems, however, so what were the major obstacles you had to overcome? Well, um, that's not quite the accurate view of history. Um, <laughs> the Michael Cullen stringently opposed the Fiscal Responsibility Act and they, he was the opposition spokesman on the finance. Mm. Uh, so if you look at the Hansard at the time, the Labour, Labour Party in opposition voted against it. Uh, the, the important um, thing was what was the passage within my own party and it's fair to say that much of the cabinet, Bolger in particular and Birch, who were the sort of the two other ranking uh, members, Bolger as Prime Minister and, and uh, Bill Birch as sort of the, the, the fix-it uh, man, mm. his right-hand man, um, they, they really were not invested in the development of the Fiscal Responsibility Act. They really didn't understand the disciplinary, if you like, consequences uh, of of its impact, but I, I had, you know, some some excellent, um, you know, both cabinet and caucus colleagues who did understand the importance of this. You know, that we hadn't been a government that had reformed public finances as a one-off. Uh, mm. We wanted that to be, you know, our gift to the country and to institutionalise, you know, to, to lock in uh, the benefit that we had secured, and they saw. Um, un unlike um, Bolger and Birch, um, who were really oblivious to its significance, uh, many of my fellow caucus and cabinet colleagues uh, saw how significant it was. And in fact, it's it's I waited to resign from Parliament until it was was passed. And ironically, Bill Birch was the minister who brought in the 994 uh, budget as a major beneficiary of of, uh, of these rules. Lastly, the Honourable Nick Smith said during a debate last year that the passing of the FRA was the most important piece of legislation passed during his 18 years in Parliament. Do you think today that the public, especially millennials like myself, undervalue the contribution of the FRA? Uh, well, you know, that's, that's sweet of Nick and his colleague Tony Ryle when, when I um, had uh, moved back to the, to the back benches just to see this through. T t Tony Ryle, he, he sort of helped secure... Uh, its passage uh, ultimately as, as a minister. Um, so, you know, obviously those of us who were involved understood and committed to it, uh, understood its significance. I think for young people today, you take for granted uh, that we will have um, open uh, and transparent conduct of fiscal responsibility, that uh, government will uh, behave themselves and you know, that, that gives the country options we didn't have and gives us a platform for, um, you know, future innovation. So the government this year will bring down what it calls a wellbeing budget. But, you know, we all know that it's not words and, and uh, you know, virtue signalling that matters. It's, it's can, can we actually follow, can we anchor the promise and can we execute the promise? Uh, so 
I think the best way for young people to understand it is to put it in the context of, as I did at the outset, of three big things happened in 1989. <laughs> we all know the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, any historian like yourself with an interest in it, um, yes. any any contemporary you know young traveller um, knows of of the importance of that event. Uh, we all every day thrill to uh, the new. Um, world that opens to us with the internet, uh, but sitting alongside that in terms of, you know, public policy architecture is the Public Finance Act, which really was the precursor that gave that gave me the tools to do the job, and then I had to institute the rules, and that combination really has has been a winning combination for this country, uh, which is why even with this new government. Um, when there's a lot of pressure from her colleagues and um, commentators to say, oh, you know, just let, let, let loose the fiscal rules, um, her firm reply, which I absolutely endorse, is we won't. Hmm. And nor she should, because the, the, the consequences of governments reverting to past behaviour are just, you know, too awful to contemplate, and millennials really would wake up one day, yeah. <laughs> uh, if it was said that what we now take for granted by way of education, health, um, infra infrastructure, environmental, you know, type spending was all put on hold because the family finances were in trouble, in this case the public finances were in trouble, mm -hmm. that would be a very big shock to the system. It would be a very big shock to the system if we went, went back to rationing foreign currency and, and banks uh, not being able to fund our dreams and schemes. So, you know, there the, the, the really are very immediate and quite shocking um, consequences uh, if we fall from fiscal grace, but I'm uh, pretty confident that what we um, locked into place has, has fulfilled its promise, and as I said at the outset, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for being part of this. <laughs> That's a pleasure. And look, I, I, I really, re really wish, wish you well. Um, you know, it's uh, studying under, you know, adversity is, is uh, all, all the better the prize that you secure. So <laughs> I, I, I really applaud what you're doing.